السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد The story of humanity Allah سبحانه وتعالى describes الإنسان and الإنسان actually there are a few opinions as to what the linguistic derivation of the term insan is from and many of us have heard insan comes from the same root and shares a root with nisyan and nisyan obviously means to forget and we're told that of course the connection there between insan and nisyan is that human beings are a creature that that actually has memory but also has forgetfulness that we can acquire knowledge, but we can also forget that knowledge. The other opinion as to the root of insan is actually that it comes from al-uns. And al-uns is a very beautiful word in Arabic with many meanings. Al-uns means intimacy and companionship. Al-uns is about seeking and finding comfort in the company of someone else. Al-uns is this idea of relating to someone else. It's essentially that feeling of comfort, the feeling of belonging, the feeling of finding love. That is al-uns. And the connection between al-uns and insan is that human beings are by nature and by default. What characterizes human nature is that universally human beings are searching for love. Al-Uns. When we turn to the story of our origin, which is the story of Adam alayhi salam, we see that Adam alayhi salam, the story ends with a search for Allah Azza wa Jal, a search for guidance. We know the story of Adam alayhi salam, the first human being, and of course his spouse Hawa. And we know the story that they were created and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed them in a jannah, in a garden. And Allah gave them a command, which was not to eat from a particular tree. And then they ate from the tree and of course they were seduced by the shaitan to do that. And so they ate from the tree and shortly thereafter they repented to Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah records their words of repentance and so this is the first ever dua of a human being Oh our Lord we have wronged ourselves and if you don't have maghfirah on us and if you don't have rahmah upon us then we will be of those who are the losers we have lost everything then Allah Azza wa Jal takes Adam alayhi salam and his spouse Hawa and takes them out of that Jannah and places them on the earth. And Allah gives his parting statement to Adam alayhi salam. فَإِمَّا يَأْتِيَنَّكُمْ مِنِّي هُدَى فَمَنْ تَبِعَ هُدَايَ فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ So Allah says to Adam, when he places him on this earth. O Adam, when guidance comes to you from me. So there's a promise here. There's a promise of guidance. There's a promise that Allah will send guidance to this world. So what does that tell us automatically? When Allah says, and when the guidance comes to me, here's a promise from Allah, the guidance will surely come. What does that tell you? If Adam will be requiring guidance, what does that tell you about the place that he's going to? So if you go to a place and someone says, oh, you're going to need directions. What does it mean? Are you, you're lost. If you need guidance, it means necessarily you are lost. And so Allah is saying, So when He's sending it to earth, and He says, and when that guidance will come to you from me, what is that telling you? Number one, that this earth is a place that human beings will become lost in. It's a cold and dark world. And this is the way that many people describe the world. Many people describe the world in these terms. And Allah tells us this from this. It's the reverse implication. If he's going to need guidance, it means this is a place you can get lost in. 
Then Allah says, فَمَنْ تَبْعَ هُدَايَ And whoever follows that guidance, فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ Whoever follows that guidance, then there will be no khawf and no huzn. No fear, so khawf means fear. Anxiety, fear. And huzn is grief, sadness. So now what does this mean? Whoever follows his guidance, then they will not be afraid and they will not be sad. So what does that tell us about the world? What does it tell us about the default of the world? Sadness, anxiety, fear. It tells us that without that guidance, this will be the state of the human being. So that Adam is being placed on this world, it's a darul ibtila, it's the place of testing, it's the place of difficulty, it's a place of hardship. The default setting, you can say the factory setting is what? Khawf and huzn. That is going to be the human experience. That they will come to this world and necessarily they will have this experience in this world. And so if they are in a place of khawf, if they are in a place of huzn, if they are fearful, about the future, about the uncertainty of the future and all the things that things could go possibly wrong in front of them. And if they're sad and grieving about the things that they may have lost, the things that they wanted that they can never have, the things that they maybe desired that has evaded their grasp and so they're sad and depressed of what they've lost. This is the default. And when a human being is in this state, they're going to be searching they're going to be searching for the antidote to these feelings. How do I get out of this state towards more positive emotion? And the primary way that a person in this world encounters and faces the hardship, the difficulty, the coldness of this world is by the search for love. And that goes back to the human being's name, Al-Insan, from Al-Uns which is seeking that comfort. We talked about the comfort, right? They need that comfort in this world. Al-uns is that seeking of comfort and finding comfort in the company of someone else. So the insan is searching for love. Love to fill the void in their heart. Love to make them feel whole. Love so that they come to the beloved broken and they feel together. Love so that it can be, though life can be worth the striving and the toil that it will demand. That is what the human being is searching for. And that is the story of Adam alayhi salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, فَإِمَّا يَأْتِيَنَّكُمْ مِنِّي هُدَى فَمَنْ تَبِعَ هُدَايَ فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا يُمْحَزَنُونَ That this search, Allah will send guidance to help you for this search. For true love. These are just some books uh, in the Islamic tradition because Islam takes the subject of love quite seriously actually uh, and, and very detailed and very profound. Uh, the tradition of love in, in the Islamic discourse is something that is very rich. It's something that's very beautiful. It's something that's very deep and it's very profound. Uh, you know, obviously, many people may, not, may be surprised by this because of some of the messaging that comes across. There's an overemphasis on fear and on these sorts of things. But actually when you look at our ulama and our scholars, you find very beautiful books and works that were produced on love. Uh, and so this is just a selection for those who are interested. These are classical works, some of which, portions of which have been translated into English. We start first by Tuq al-Hamama by Ibn Hazm. Tuq al-Hamama, literally the ring of the dove, by Ibn Hazm. Ibn Hazm was a Andalusian scholar, so he was one of the scholars from Islamic Spain. And he was a very eccentric and very different character in our Islamic history. Ibn Hazm was not part of any of the four madhahib of fiqh. You know, Hanafi, Shafi'i, Maliki, Hanbali. There was another madhab actually amongst Sunni. Very, very few people uh, had uh, actually followed it. Does anyone know the name of this fifth madhab? No, no. Yeah. The Zahiri Madhab, Ahsanti. The Zahiri Madhab, they were literalists. They took everything very literally um, when it came to the Quran and the Sunnah. In any case, Ibn Hazm was a Zahiri. And he has very interesting works and very different kind of perspectives on a lot of things. 
Now, Ibn Hazm, he wrote this book, very beautiful book, Tuq al-Hamama, where he goes into this topic of love. And he talks about it at length and describes it. And there's poetry and the way he describes it. And we're inshallah going to go into that in this class. Because when we try to discuss what exactly is love, it will come back to a lot of quotes from Ibn Hazm. The second book uh, that you see there is uh, Al-Qa'ida fil Mahabba by Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. And this book is really more focused on love for Allah Azza wa Jal. Tuq al-Hawama is very general love, romantic love, love between family and these sorts of things, uh, lustful love and passions and these sorts of things in Tuq al-Hamama. Ibn Taymiyyah's book is very focused on love for Allah Azza wa Jal. Rawdatul Muhibbin, literally the garden of the lovers by Ibn al-Qayyim, beautiful book. It's like 600, 700 pages. And Ibn al-Qayyim's work is very comprehensive. It includes everything about love. And he documents and he puts all the positions of the scholars and definitions of love and all the different types of love. And he also really focuses on a bit of a purification element about desires and about having blameworthy love and lusts and how to curb those sorts of things. And he ends this book actually interestingly about people who are uh, having these lustful addictions who aren't able to control their gaze. And he gives 50 different points. Some of them are cognitive, some of them are behavioral therapies, you can really say, for people who are struggling with this problem. Uh, so a very beautiful book, Radhatul Muhabbin, and he deals as well with issues of same-sex attraction as well in Radhatul Muhabbin. Um, Diwan al-Sababa by Ibn Abi Hajla, contemporary of Ibn al-Qayyim. This is an interesting book. So this one, Diwan al-Sababa, uh, so, like basically Sababa you can say is being love struck and he goes through all the different stories in Islamic history of people becoming love struck and most of the time of how it led to their downfall and their destruction that they fell in love with some girl and this 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 happened and then they gave this away and they lost this and this and that sort of thing um, and there's some interesting love stories that you can find there in Diwan al-Sababa um, and then last uh, is Tazeen al-Aswaq fi akhbar al-Ushaq um, and this one is basically uh, about uh, more stories in this regard of lovers and this sorts of thi- these sorts of things. Uh, and this was not a scholar of Islam, but he was kind of like a philosopher and a doctor as well. Uh, and so he wrote uh, that book focusing on love stories in uh, Islamic history uh, and talking about different types of love uh, as well. So, what is love? This is from Tuq uh, al-Hamama by Ibn Hazm and he basically says that love is something that is beyond words that can describe it. It's something that cannot truly be captured by definitions. So majestic are its diverse aspects. Uh, they are too subtle to be described. Their reality can only be apprehended by personal experience. Love is not disapproved by the religion nor is it prohibited by law for verily the hearts are in the hand of God. So when a person develops a love uh, in their heart, Ibn Hazm is saying this is not blameworthy in and of itself because this person has no control of it. It's something that comes and sparks out into the heart. Um, and as Ibn Hazm says, in the, heart, in the hearts are in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. This is a, uh, a quote from Ibn Qayyim's Rodus al-Buhibbin. No one can define love with a definition more clear than itself. He's meaning that Love is love essentially. If someone wants to define love, they'll try to make a description, but at the end of the day, there's no clearer way to convey the meaning of love than just the word love itself. And no one can describe love with a description more clear than love itself. Humanity is only capable of speaking about its causes, what causes someone to love another person, its means, the pathways to loving another person, its signs, how a person can tell if this person has love, its indicators, its consequences, what happens when a person has love, and its rulings, like, you know, what are the different rulings in regards to love. Uh, and their definitions only revolve around the above six. So he's saying when a person tries to define love, then it will actually not be defining love, it will be describing its causes, describing the pathways to love, describing the signs of love, but it actually won't be defining it itself because it's something that cannot really truly be defined. Uh, and so, in his book, Radhatul Muhibbin, Ibn al-Qayyim, he mentions 50 different words in the Arabic language that are connected to this meaning of love. Many different words in Arabic that, that convey that meaning of love. The main one, of course, is al-mahabba. 
al-mahabba. Uh, and he gives, and he lists eight different opinions as to li the linguistic derivation of it. Uh, and 20 different definitions of mahabba in this book. In Madarij al-Salikin, he gives 30 different definitions of al-mahabba, uh, of love. There are themes of love that he describes, uh, and you can see them here. There are themes of love that Ibn Qayyim describes, and he explains, It is the inclination, the everlasting inclination of the heart, uh, that inclines and, and wants and desires another. It is the, the preferring of the beloved over anything else. It is the unification of the lover's want and desire with whatever the beloved wants and desires. And it is said, it is the preferencing or the prioritizing of the wants of the beloved over the wants of the lover. So you prioritize what you you prioritize the wants of who you love over the things that you own, you want yourself. And it is said it is establishing service basically service serving your beloved by acts of service serving for their needs and these sorts of things and also accompanying that a sense of hurma like a sense of sacredness or a sense of dignity that is there with that. And it is also said, استقلال كثير منك لمحبوبك واستهدار القليل منه إليك. He says, it is belittling anything that you give to the beloved. So you see anything that you've given to your beloved as, oh, I haven't done justice to this, you know, individual or to this person or to my beloved. And واستكثار القليل منه إليك. And you aggrandize and exaggerate the smallest things that they may do for you. This is a person that has true love for their uh, beloved. وَقِيلْ إِسْتِلَاءْ ذِكْرِ الْمَحْبُوبِ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِ الْمُحِبِّ It is said that it is the, uh, the, the conquering in the heart of the mention of earth. You can say it is when the heart of the lover is conquered by the remembrance of the beloved. That all the heart does throughout the day is constantly remembering and thinking about and constantly being infatuated with the beloved and constantly thinking about their beloved. Um, وَقِيلْ حَقِيقَتَهَا أَن تَهَبْ كُلَّكَ لِمَنْ أَحْبَبْتَ It is, and it is said that love is when you give all of yourself to your beloved. So, when you look at these things, there's some themes that emerge when it comes to the topic of love. There's the theme of preferring your beloved over anything else. There's this idea of the union of the desires of the lover and the beloved. There's this idea of preferring your beloved's needs over your own and giving all of yourself to your beloved until there's nothing left for you uh, at all. So it really boils down to this idea of love is when you prioritize and you want the desires of the beloved over your own desires. That is the true essence of love. It's a selfless feeling towards another. Now, one thing that love is connected to as we see from there is, if you think about it, it's about needs. It's about needs. The need, when a person fulfills needs of another person, because human beings, as we said, and described the state of the human beings, human beings are in a state of need, they're vulnerable. There are many needs that we have. We are not strong, we are not self-sufficient. So when another person fulfills a need, and it could be a very deep existential need, then love starts to develop towards that individual. Because they are fulfilling a need for you. And if you look at that, this concept of love as you see in the discussions, it's all about the service, what are you providing for the other person? He's, they're giving you this or they're giving you that and they're giving everything. They're prioritizing your needs and your wants. So then it creates that sense of love. Now, I want us, and this is the first activity, because I really want us, the, the point of this class is of course to take, come from here and then go into the true and the, and the most deepest form of love, which is love for Allah Azza wa Jal. But in order to do that, we really need to really understand the essence and the foundations and the fundamentals of love itself. And so at its root, 
To understand it, we must understand our vulnerabilities and our needs as human beings. So I want us to get into groups inshallah, and I want us to enumerate our, any, any need that you might see that human beings are in need of. Existential needs. What are the things that we need to exist? It could be physically, it could be psychologically, it could be spiritually, it could be relationship-wise, whatever it is. What is it that we need as individuals when it comes to another person? So I just want us to enumerate that inshallah. So if we can get into groups inshallah, five, six or seven or whatnot, uh, and then I'll give you guys about five minutes inshallah, and then we'll come back. Beautiful, excellent, jazakum khairan. So you see there, uh, the enumeration there, right? Like there's so many different things that human beings need beyond food, drink, and water, and these sorts of things that are there as well. But there's all these psychological elements as well. And these are deep needs. And if they're not fulfilled, oftentimes people can feel uh, very lonely. If they don't have that need for belonging satisfied, they can feel very much uh, self-hatred. Uh, they can have self-loathing as well. If they don't have that sense of self-worth, there's so many things there. And that all manifests in different ways when you come to relationships and how you relate to your friends, how you relate to your parents and, these, and, and sp future spouses or spouses, it all s goes back to whether these needs are actually fulfilled or not in a healthy way and how they've been fulfilled. And this is the topic for the third week of Faith Circle, inshallah, when we talk about this idea of emotional-centered parenting and childhood upbringing. And we realize that our experiences in childhood because in childhood, you form your first ever attachments from birth, and that's your attachment to your parents. And this models how you then relate to other people. And people can go through what are known as attachment injuries, or you know, attachment uh, trauma, or you know, ways in which this attachment was made insecure or maladaptive, and so then it actually reflected very poorly in a lot of these existential needs. Now, as we said, the fulfillment of needs and vulnerable creatures. Now, uh, this was from before, but now I want us to do the second activity. So now, we have an idea of a list, okay, we have all these needs as human beings. Now the question is, I want us to, I had this written down before, anyways, I'll write it down maybe after just to be clear. There's two things I want you to do now. Number one is, I want us to now enumerate all the different types of relationships that we have. So like, between siblings, for example, between friends, etc., etc., the different categories of relationships. I want you to enumerate them, and then I want you to reflect on each relationship and say which needs are fulfilled by these relationships. So, if we can go inshallah and do that, I'll give you guys five minutes inshallah. The point behind this activity is to understand that through our different relationships, we actually are searching for and getting some of these needs fulfilled through them. And which exactly are we getting through them? So we have, for instance, to make it a bit easier to, to, to help with this, because I really want you to reflect more on each relationship and what needs they fulfill. So you have, for instance, relationship between family, relationship with your, between parent and child, relationship, romantic relationships uh, with husband and wife, uh, relationship uh, between a... Um, uh, and these are all relationships based on love, right? These are the, what glues these people together. Uh, and also a relation between an admirer and a public figure. Because people love you know, celebrities and these sorts of things. What you know, fulfillment is that, is that providing them? Why are they loving these people that they've never even seen? Love between believers. Love between uh, you know, all these sorts of things. So now think about what needs are they fulfilling? I'll give you guys three to five minutes inshallah. Okay, bismillah, round two. Here it is, your big moment, your comeback. Excellent. And so you see, even being part of a community, and that's why actually Muslims, they're very privileged in the sense that we have very strong senses of belongingness and community that other groups don't really have. I mean, we come together every week for Jum'ah. Some come together all the time, five times a day for Salah, for example. Classes like this, this is something that's actually quite rare. So you see here that all these different relationships, they all will fulfill different needs that we have and very existential needs within us. Now, sometimes what happens when we seek out these existential needs through these relationships, fundamentally, then oftentimes you can actually have a maladaptive attachment or that love can mutate into something that's actually ugly. So you can have, for instance, someone who becomes 
overbearing. And this is a person who has strongly attached and their great insecurity in that attachment. They are afraid of losing whatever it is that they have. They're afraid of losing whoever it is that they have. And so then they become overbearing to compensate for that. Or they can become manipulative because they're afraid that they have no trust. There's no trust there. And so they become manipulative and they try to ensure that their needs are fulfilled in these sorts of things and whoever they want to be around is around. And so the person can become manipulative. Uh, a person can become avoidant. That they are afraid of relationships. They are afraid of becoming close to another person. They are afraid of the commitment. They are afraid of the responsibility. They are afraid of getting hurt if it doesn't work out. They are afraid in this regard. And so they can become avoidant. And of course, a person can become abusive. They become abusive towards the person that they love because they have this unrealistic expectation or this idealistic sense or they have a very black and white mentality of things. They have a very much 100%, 0%, good and evil, everything extremes, everything is polarized. And so then when something doesn't go their way, then that anger comes out and they become catastrophization and it leads to abuse because it comes from a place of fear that this is now going to be lost because of this small thing. So there's these different ways that love can mutate. And love can be something that is very selfish. That we only want to get what we can get out of things and we don't care about the other person. We love that person or whoever it is because of the needs that they fulfill from us. And that is the extent of it. So it becomes conditional. And we spoke about how the ulama, they describe love as this very selfless thing. And oftentimes, this type of love is actually the type of love that a child has. This is the child's first stage of love. A child's love is not mature enough to be at that level of selflessness and devotion and these sorts of things. What's supposed to happen is as they grow up, they start to recognize these things and then they're able to love. Some people are not able to love in that way and mature in their heart to that aspect where they are giving themselves selflessly and having that selfless aspect of things. Most people actually are stuck on selfish love. And oftentimes that's one of the biggest issues that come up in marriages, which is that husband and wife are both concerned about themselves and about their own rights. And a lot of people say, whenever people start talking about the rights and this is my right, that's when you know that that's a huge red flag in a marriage and a relationship. Because it's clear there's no true love here. It's clear that both are in it for the fulfillment of their mutual rights. And so it's very important that we then think about what is it or who is it that I should actually seek fulfillment of my needs from. Because the idea is that if truly you need to get your needs from this person and they start to act up in their own ways, then of course it's going to turn into how we described it. Because people are not reliable. People make mistakes. People die. People change. People can be betrayers. And that becomes very, very, very putting yourself in a precarious, vulnerable position. Because you've invested all this and you're taking all of this that you need, these existential needs for a sense of belonging, for a sense of purpose, for a sense of companionship, for love. And you've put it into an individual. And usually, this is usually when it comes to romantic love. And in particular, especially with your age groups, infatuations, you know, uh, crushes, and like a sense of a... Um, a person that a person feels like there's these strong emotions towards, then it overattaches and a person feels all of these very strong, deep existential needs within them, they bring it within that context. And oftentimes what happens, it's so strong. And so then these passions and these feelings, they develop very strongly at a very high level. And oftentimes, it fizzles out. Not the, the love, the relationship. Why? Because, oh, Especially if, if, if a person is Muslim, I'm talking about the Muslim experience. Now it becomes, especially if they're religious, I'm talking about the religious Muslim experience. Now it becomes, now where do we go? Because this love is pushing into a direction that obviously you're going to violate boundaries and these sorts of things. And so then it becomes, well, where do we go from here? And then oftentimes, and I've seen this, you know, countless dozens of times, this is like, this is the, 
I, I don't want to say Romeo and Juliet story, but like, you know, people talk about Romeo and Juliet is very much a universal story of love and it's something that exists in all times and cultures. This is very much the universal kind of picture of uh, young Muslim development as they grow up in the West. This is a very, very common scenario. And then, oh, we're too young to get married. Oh, my parents doesn't want to do this, 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 that, and the other. And then it becomes devastating. It becomes devastating. Because all of that that you got from that other person is now gone. It's now finished. And now this person is in a sense of existential crisis from it as well. They can be devastated from it. And so it's dangerous to be a human being that has not found the true fulfillment of these needs and has not found their true love. And this is the point I want to get at in this class. We should be grounded and as independent as possible. It's not that Allah wants us to be by ourselves. No, this the case of, that's not the case at all. But it's that we must be grounded with one true relationship. And that is a relationship that Allah describes. And subhanAllah, reflect on this verse and what we've been talking about. Ya Oh mankind, this is not Yahu Ladina Aminu. Oh mankind, oh all of humanity. Antumul Fukara, you are all Fukara, impoverished, vulnerable, destitute, in states of dire need. And we just enumerated that. That was the whole class. Uh, sorry, that was the whole activity, the first activity we did. We just enumerated this, the tafsir of this. Why are we fuqara? We mentioned all the things that we need, all the things that we don't have within ourselves. But Allah says, to who? Ilallah. Where is the true source of fulfillment? Ilallah. It is to Allah. And this is so beautiful and powerful. Allah then mentions two names. So Allah is saying in this verse, you need me. All those needs, you will find them with Allah. Everything you're looking for, you will find it with Allah Azza wa Jal. But look at how Allah then describes Himself. Because when it comes to human beings, it's mutual needs. I have mutual needs. Any relationship that we have, there's love. There's also an element and a layer of self-interest that cannot be put away. Because we all have needs. And so you love and you want the person because it's fulfilling some sense of need. So there's an element of self-interest in every relationship and that's normal. Because we are people in need. That's why human beings love. If there was no need, human beings would not love. What would be the point? We wouldn't need to love because we wouldn't need to seek any connection with anyone else. You see in the animal kingdom, for instance, you find many animals who are just solo. Because in their ecosystem, in their habitat, they don't need another animal, they don't need community. They can fulfill all their basic survival needs by themselves. Other animals require, you know, to hunt in packs. They require community. They require this, this, this. Human beings require this. Human beings require this. And so that's why we love. But subhanAllah, Allah says, Wallahu wal ghani. Allah has no needs. When Allah loves you, it's not out of any need. Then what is the reason? It's because it is out of pure love. That is the purest form of love, which no one can give you except Allah Azza wa Jal. Because Allah has no needs. Everyone else, they have needs. It cannot be pure. It will have this taint of that self-interest. It is only Allah that can give you that true love, not from a place of need, but from a place of loving you for who you are because Allah has created you and Allah loves then what He's created. There's no secrets with Allah. Allah knows you for who you are. Nobody else, all your relationships, nobody knows who you truly are. There's no mask in front of Allah. This is the true love that we seek. And it is through our relationship with Allah that we can find that uns, uns billah, as it is described by our scholars, uns billah, seeking comfort, finding comfort in companionship with Allah Azza wa Jal. Seeking comfort in coming closer to Allah Azza wa Jal. 
So this is the true fulfillment of needs and Allah has described himself in a very famous surah in the Quran. Qul Allahu ahad. Say he is Allah, the one and only. Allahu samad. He is a samad. And what is a samad? A samad is the one who fulfills all needs. He is the one that fulfills all needs. And so our relationship with Allah we should run to Allah with these needs, with these wants and desires, with our feelings of loneliness, with our feelings of incompetence, with our feelings of not feeling worthy, with our feelings of all these different things, self-doubt and all of this, we go to Allah with that. And in Al-Qawi, the most strong, we find strength. And in Al-Rahman, the most merciful, we find mercy. And in Al-Latif, the one who is suddenly kind, we find kindness. And in Al-Ghafoor, we find forgiveness. And in Al-Wadud, we find love, pure love. And in Al-Jabbar, we find a strength that we can do whatever we want in this world because Al-Jabbar is by our side. This is Allah Azza wa Jal. And He is the foundation of all other loves that we should have in our life. There's a beautiful quote by Ibn Qayyim in Madarij al-Salikin. He says, فَفِي الْقَلْبِ شَعْثٌ لَا يَلُمُّهُ إِلَّا الْإِقْبَالُ عَلَى اللَّهِ In the heart, there is a disturbance, a perturbance. Remember we spoke about the default factory setting of the human being? Is, it's a cold and dark place in this world. Is khawf, is huzn. And human beings are searching for in this world a way to Fill the void in that heart. Ibn al-Qayyim says, in the heart there is this disturbance that cannot be remedied except by turning to Allah. In it, وَفِيهِ وَحْشَةٌ لَا يُزِيلُهَا إِلَّا الْأُنْسْبِهِ And in it is a loneliness that cannot be removed except with comfort or intimacy with him in solitude. فِي الْخَلْوَتِهِ وَفِيهِ حُزْنٌ لا يذهبه إلا السرور إلا السرور بمعرفته وصدق معاملته In it is sadness which will not leave except with the happiness of knowing him recognizing him معرفته knowing his names and attributes knowing who he is to you and truthfulness in his dealings In it is anxiety that is not made tranquil except by gathering for his sake and fleeing to him from his punishment. In it is a fire and a flame of regret which cannot be extinguished except by satisfaction with his commands, riba, contentment with his commands, prohibition, and his decrees in this world, and embracing patience with that until the time he meets him. In it is a strong desire that will not cease until he is the only one who is sought. In it is a void, is a hole that cannot be filled except by his love, turning to him, always remembering him and being sincere to him. Were a person to be given the entire world and everything in it, that would never fill the void. SubhanAllah. A very deep passage by Ibn Qayyim describing the fact that there is these existential needs that stem in the heart that cannot be fulfilled except with the relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal. It cannot be done. No matter what we cover ourselves with and what we may cover things up with, none of this can be done except with the love of Allah Azza wa Jal. Now we'll just end with a few other quotes from Al-Qaim to reflect on. The heart in its journey to Allah is like a bird. Love is the head while fear and hope are the two wings. When the head and both wings are sound, then the bird can fly. And if the head is removed, the bird is dead. If one of the wings is missing, then it's easy prey for every predator. So this is the idea that love is the foundation of our relationship with Allah. Now, we'll end with this point, which is that ibadah and worship. When we talk about ibadah, when Ibn Qayyim describes those 50 names about love, he says ibadah is the highest level of love. Ibadah in its essence is two things. It's love and humility and submissiveness. It's love primarily. That is the foundation of ibadah. And so our relationship with Allah is characterized by ibadah. And so 
When you love another person, or when you have a relationship with another person, you spend time with them. That's what you desire with your beloved. You want to spend time with them. You spend time with friends, you spend time with your family. That is the ultimate objective, and you spend time with your spouse. And you seek as closeness or proximity as you can. That's why you hug one another. You'll kiss one another. You shake hands. It's that area of proximity. And so there are rituals that are attached to our relationships. Hugs is a ritual. Like why do we hug one another? Like we're not getting anything out of it. It's a ritual. It's a ritual that symbolically demonstrates closeness. That we're together. Union. Even when it comes to husband and wife, the act that they share in privacy is as well, is that idea of union. Now, when it comes to relating with Allah Azza wa Jal, of course there's no kissing and hugging. But what is there? Sajda. That is like, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلِ الْأَعْلَى To Allah belongs the highest example. But when you come in and enter on someone that you love, you go and then you give them a hug. With Allah Azza wa Jal, you go and you stand, and you go into sajda. That is your way of relating and interacting with Allah Azza wa Jal. That is the way you encounter Allah Azza wa Jal. Because of course it's not appropriate to, you know, hugging. That's equal. Allah's place is so high. The ruku'ah, that's how you relate to Allah. Dua, raising your hands up to Allah, being broken before Allah, that is how you relate to Allah. That is your interactions. You see, every relationship has genres of interactions. You're not going to go you know, with your parents necessarily, unless you're really tight and they're really hip or whatever. You're not going to go to them and you know, go play some games or go to the movies or do this and this and hang out, you know, go grab some, you know, some drinks there or some shakes there or whatnot. You're not going to do that. You're going to do that with your friends. That's that type of interaction with your friends. And then there's a genre of interaction with your family and then with your parents and then with your spouse and then with you know different people you do different types of things with Allah what are the things that you do to communicate with Allah dua quran salah and the salah combines all of that that's why the salah is the most focused quality time with Allah azza wa jal just like with your friends sometimes it's not quality time you're driving together oh yeah we weren't really able to hang out weren't even able to connect as we would have liked to maybe there were a lot of people around but then there's quality time that you can spend with somebody else. With Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah and whatnot, you're looking around, you can do dhikr, you're relating with Allah, but it's still not 100%. Because you're looking around, so, you know, saying you're doing your dhikr maybe, and then someone comes, you say, alaikum, you're reading Quran again, taking a break, stretching out, these sorts of things. When it comes to salah, that is the quality time. Nothing else. So focused. You don't, not even looking right or left. Eyes straight at the place of prostration. Ibn Taymiyyah says, the wisdom behind looking at the place of sajda is the slave is building an anticipation for the moment that they can actually fall into sajda before Allah Azza wa Jal. And because that is the moment that they are closest to Allah, as the Prophet Sallallahu said, the slave is not closer to Allah in any position than the sajda, the prostration. So the salah combines everything, dhikr, Quran, and it's this core, complete focus. This is how we relate with Allah Azza wa Jal. So I hope in this was something that inspired us to look at our relationship with Allah in a different way. And to look to fulfill our needs with Allah alone. To Him we worship and devote ourselves and to Him we seek needs. And lest that we think our love for Allah is conditional upon this. Because Allah says in the Quran and warns us, there are many believers or there are people in Asabatu Khairan Nitma an Nabi that when good comes to them, then they feel that tumma'nina, they feel that uns. But when evil comes to them, in qaliba ala qibay, they turn themselves back. They, they, they blame God, they're not happy with Him, etc. Et so their love is, con is conditional. Our love for Allah is unconditional. Through the hardship and through whatever it may be. Knowing that when you turn to Allah, that Allah turns to you. Knowing that you, when you remember Allah, Allah remembers you. And knowing that when you seek out the love for Allah and you love Allah, Allah loves you. That is enough for the true lover of Allah Azza wa Jal. So we'll end it there, inshallah. And inshallah, next week,
Um, we will be going through, so this was the foundation, our relationship with Allah. This is where we find our strength. This is where we find ourselves whole. This is where we find our strengths as Muslims. So now when you go to your other relationships, you can truly be selfless. Because you're not necessarily needing as much. Obviously there's always base needs. We're not talking in ideals. But because your love for Allah and relationship with Allah is high, then you see that other person as a creation of Allah that you wish to serve as well. That, that, that love then becomes expansive and it, it go, grows beyond just any needs. And it's not about the needs anymore, but it's love for its own sake, for those who are around that individual. A true selfless love. So the idea is that it starts with this foundation of our love for Allah Azza wa The next week, inshallah, we're going to be going through, and Imam Uzair actually will be coming. We'll be doing a bit of a joint session and a bit of an interview and whatnot. Uh, but the focus is going to be on the topic of marriage. Now, on the topic of marriage, it's specifically going to be speaking about pathways for young people to uh, make marriage easier for them. And this is a very important discussion that needs to be had for the entire community, in particular the parents of people who are between 18 and you know, 25, between 18 and 25, even younger as well, 16 to 25, we'll just put that all in there. Um, this is important. I really want you to bring your parents if you can and we're gonna put an appeal inshallah We'll try to send an email out as well to a few email kind of lists But bring your parents along because I'm gonna be pre we're gonna be preaching to the choir Otherwise next week and you guys are gonna be like yes, 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 but khalas, that's not gonna mean anything, right? The point is we want a paradigm shift. We want a bit of a culture shift. We want a mentality shift as well They need to hear Especially from someone like Imam Uzair as well, who's had so much experience in the community and understands, and from myself as well, who understands, you know, what's been going on and the things and stuff that have been happening, why this is so vital, and why it's important, and why it's important for us to adjust our cultural notions of marriage, and the difficulties and baggages that come with that, and some aspects even that may be Islamic that we need to adjust to be able to cater to very important needs in our times. And so we're going to be talking about marriage, are you, so the, the, one of the main things is going to be, are you ready for marriage? What are the things that are kind of important for us to get? And by the way, this is like number one. Is, this is like number one. Getting right with Allah Azza wa Jal is number one with any relationship. Uh, and then other things as well, of course. And then talking about early marriages and these sorts of things. Bin uh, Ta'ala. So that's going to be uh, next week. And then after that, as we said, we're going to talk about childhood traumas and, and parenting styles and these sorts of things. And then we'll have our finale, inshallah, still trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do with that week. Uh, but inshallah, that will be definitely be some food and whatnot. So a bit of a more of a festive kind of atmosphere. Any questions? Yes, Fadl. Subhanallah, beautiful question. The brother said, we've explained how to love Allah, how we relate to Allah and these sorts of things and why. But now the question is, and this is the key question, how do we know that Allah loves us? Obviously, we don't get revelation, but it's from iman and faith. And it's very simple. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحَبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Say, O Messenger of Allah, if you love Allah, so the messenger, Allah is commanding the Messenger of Allah to tell us, if you love Allah, then follow me and Allah will love you. So your effort, and we know, a sincere and genuine intention to follow the Messenger in your pursuit of Allah, because that shows your sincerity. You know, a lot of people say, I love God, I worship in my own way. What shows your sincerity, a true lover, is not just going to say, oh yeah, I'm just going to give whatever gift I want to give you. The true lover says and, and figures out and wants and investigates. We'll go even ask. If they want to give a surprise, they'll ask their friends, hey, what do they want? What do they need right now? What? Because they want something that they will truly be pleased with. They're not just going to say, oh, I'm just going to get whatever I want. So likewise with this, we want to know, a true lover of God will want to know what is actually Allah will be pleased with. And so then he follows the messenger. Following the messenger and being committed to that, Allah says in the Quran, يُحْبِبُكُمُ Allah, Allah will love you. وَيَغْفِلَّكُمْ And he'll forgive you all of your sins. Allah also says many times in verses in the Quran, actually there's a beautiful series I'll, I'll refer you to in, in Yaqeen um, by Shaykh Umar Suleiman. It's called Allah Loves. 
And he goes through all the qualities where Allah has declared his love for these slaves. In Allah yuhibbul muqsitin, Allah loves those who stand for justice. In Allah yuhibbul mutawakin, Allah loves those who rely upon him. And there's these qualities as well. And so it's almost like, you know, you want to diversify your portfolio, right? Because we don't know if we're truly genuine in any of these. But you want to do as much of it as possible. And then you feel and you experience. Whenever you feel close to Allah, that is a sign, that is an alama that Allah loves you. Because you wouldn't have felt that feeling. And of course, you're in the sunnah and everything. You wouldn't have felt that feeling if Allah didn't want good for you. That is a sign of Allah's love. You look at when you make dua to Him, that feeling of brokenness before Allah. You know Allah loves you. Your ability to make tawbah to Allah, if you've committed a sin, and after that, you had the ability to raise your hands to Allah and seek tawbah to Allah. You are not able to make tawbah to Allah unless Allah says in the Quran about the Sahaba who made tawbah to him. Then Allah taba alayhi. Allah turned to the servant so that the servant made tawbah to Allah. And so the scholars say. Your tawbah was actually preceded by Allah turning to you and actually wanting you to bring that tawbah to Him. Because you would not have been able to raise your hands to Allah and feel guilt and nadam and regret for what you've done and ask Allah for forgiveness if Allah didn't want khair for you. And that is a sign that Allah loves you. That Allah wants to hear your voice in your dua, your broken voice in your dua. Because Allah's love, you know, for other people, people love to be around people when they're happy. Allah's love, Allah loves when you are in a difficult situation and you turn to Him in that situation. That's what Allah loves. Allah loves when you've messed up, when you've sinned, when you've done so much to, you know, displeasure of Allah, disobedience to Allah. Allah loves at that moment when you turn back to Him. There's a hadith as we know, that Allah ashadda farhan. His farah, farah is like, like jubilance, like a very high level happiness. Allah's happiness is higher than a person who's lost his camel in the desert and in that time that would mean certain death. Because you're in the middle of the desert, your provisions are gone, your tent is gone, your shelter is gone, your means of transportation is gone, you're in the middle of the burning desert, you will die in three to four, five days, maybe seven days max. And that's it for you, end of the road, you've lost your camel, your family, you're not going to see your family again, you're not going to see your friends again, you're going to now think about for the next week, the burning hot pain, and the literally of life being sucked within you. Can you imagine the state of that person at that moment? Then can you imagine at that moment when they see their camel come right back to them? Allahu Akbar, can you imagine that state of happiness of that person? Allah says he is more happy when his servant turns back to him in tawbah and comes back to him. So all of these are signs, are alamat of Allah's love for us. So Jazakum Khairan for that question. And we need to search out for those alamat to give us that motivation and that feeling that we have that. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Jazakum khairan. Let's pray salah, inshaAllah. Anyone has any more questions, feel free to come up after uh, the class up here, inshaAllah. Uh, I'll just stand, uh, I'll be sitting here, and you guys can come up after. Jazakum khairan. Subhanakallah, alhamdulillah, kashidu wa la ilaha anta astaghfirullah wa tubu ilayk.